the past two weeks for various reasons. Uh, last week, I was still in quarantine from COVID, which was a major bummer. I'm good now, so don't be worried. Um, so I missed last week for that. Two weeks ago, um, I actually went down uh, for a funeral of a friend of mine, Regina Donjel, um, and I got the honor to be a pallbearer in her funeral. Um, her husband, Joe Donjel, is a seminary professor down at Asbury and has done a lot of scholarly work on the Gospel of Mark. And I'm actually going to take a lot from his work that he's taught me. So uh, <clears throat> that's we're going we're gonna to focus a lot on the Gospel of Mark today. We're actually going to do something that you probably shouldn't do when you're doing a sermon, is I'm not going to be very specific. I'm going to be very broad, and we're going like, to go through a ton of different scripture there's going to be moments where there's going to be a lot of words up on the screen, too. Um, but it'll all be for a purpose that hopefully you'll get at the end. Um, but it'll be a little bit different. So, <clears throat> there's many ways you can read many of the Gospels. That's one of the cool things about not just the Gospel, but Scripture in general, is there's a lot of different angles that you can take, and it can seem afresh every time you read them. Um, the Gospel of Mark uh, can also be read as a mystery novel. Um, so that's what we're going to try to focus on today. Um, basically on the identity of who in the world is this Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? Um, mystery novels are pretty popular, right? Um, we like mysteries. We like whodunits. Um, I recently saw Knives Out with Faith. Anybody seen that movie, Knives Out? I thought it was pretty entertaining. I liked it. I hadn't seen a movie like that. Also, it's like the first non-kids movie I've seen probably in like six years, so... <laughs> I was bound to like it, um, so maybe it's not that great, I don't know. Um, my generation was obsessed in like 2005-ish with Lost, do you guys remember Lost? That was all a mystery, like it was just built on mystery upon mystery, never answering questions, until at the end when they answered the question it was really disappointing, yeah. right? Anyway, uh, yeah, around 12 years ago the BBC uh, made a really good version of Sherlock Holmes, do you guys remember that with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman? That was awesome. That was also pre-Eli, so we watched that. Um, the game's afoot, right? Sherlock would say that. Um, a nice catchphrase by Sherlock. But also, an invitation to the reader or the viewer to come along with Sherlock and Watson to uncover the truth behind a mystery, right? You're invited into this mystery. That's what good mysteries do. Um, when you're enjoying a good mystery, you don't want spoilers, right? That would ruin the fun, right? Uh, you want to go on the journey to figure it out with the characters. Sometimes you like to be surprised, but never so much that it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, it has to lead you in a way that's entertaining. Um, so who is Jesus of Nazareth? Many biblical scholars see the Gospel of Mark written as a bit of a mystery novel, as I mentioned before. A mystery novel surrounded by the identity of one man who is Jesus of Nazareth? Mark starts in a way in which a mystery novel shouldn't. Okay? Um, the author reveals the mystery right away in the first line of the gospel. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Mystery solved. Right? Okay. Um, not only that, but the first scene in Mark repeats this where Jesus is baptized by John, um, and a voice from heaven says, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. So right away we're hit, bam, bam. This is who this person is, okay? So the author knows 
We know, as the reader, and the heavens declared it already in the first scene, the identity of Jesus. I wonder how the rest will play out, though. So that's a bit of the mystery. Imagine some of the best mystery stories letting the cat out of the bag right in the first scene, or even during the title sequence, right? <laughs> um, like, what if Sixth Sense just started off? It's like, Sixth Sense, he's dead, by the way. You know? Um, anyway, <laughs> you guys remember that. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> Mark is a little different, right? This gospel lets you know the mysterious identity of this Jesus of Nazareth right away so that you can go on the adventure of seeing how other characters encounter this Jesus. You know the identity, the big reveal, but how will everyone else get there? Will everyone get there? Will they know? How will you see this mysterious man's interactions with the world around him? <coughs> so, little uh, little note there, too. Uh, th these PowerPoints are going to have certain markers where they'll be, some will be noted as these are questions that people ask in the Gospel of Mark about the identity of Jesus. And some will say this is a claim that either a character or Jesus, or the Father, is making of the identity of Jesus. Okay, so there'll be a little notes with that. Many characters in the Gospel of Mark ask this question, who is Jesus of Nazareth? Or in a similar, or a similar one, in a way, throughout the Gospel. So I'm going to give you all a bird's eye, very, very fast flyover on the Gospel of Mark, and I'm intently focused on certain themes, on the times in which Jesus' identity is discussed. Okay? There's other things like teachings and stuff that I'm not going to brush up on. There will be questions that characters ask about Jesus' identity, and there will be claims about Jesus' identity made by characters in the story, and sometimes by Jesus himself. Sometimes there will be summations that can be gleaned from the claims, or questions, and sometimes, uh, and sometimes there will be reactions from the characters in the story uh, based on their questions or the responses. Um, so I'd recommend, as I take you through this way too quickly through Mark, uh, that you notice who asks the questions, how they respond, and who tries to make claims as to who Jesus is, okay? So, we're starting off. It's mostly, air quotes, chronological throughout the Gospel of Mark, how, how I've done this here. So, I, Jesus' identity with encounters of spiritual powers, Right? Um, so right away, we have a spirit making a claim in the first chapter of Mark. A man with an unclean spirit knows who Jesus of Nazareth is. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then later we have a question. People in response to Jesus uh, casting out the demon they were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So Jesus cleanses, uh, and then, uh, Jesus cleanses people with unclean spirits and demons, but he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Okay? And again, so in Mark 1.34 and also in Mark 3, 7 through 12. Uh, then we have another spirit making a claim of Jesus' identity. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus? Again, same thing. Son of the Most High God, I adjure you, which means urge, you by God, do not torment me. The people's response to this, 
Jesus' uh, fame spread in some cases, and in some, it made the people angry, and they drove Jesus away. I believe, I think uh, Joe Dongel also said, the same uh, word of driving Jesus away is the same word of driving the demons out of people. So that's an interesting little use of the word there. Uh, so what can we glean from this? Jesus' identity, that Jesus has power over spiritual powers. What about Jesus' identity in light of healing disease and sickness? A blind man can see who Jesus is. Isn't that ironic? Um, Bartimaeus, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he says. Naming him son of David shows that he recognizes Jesus' kingship, right? And the response by the people, those that were cured of illness, can't help but tell about Jesus, while the spiritual leaders in power get more and more angry, right? Jesus' identity from this, Jesus has power over disease and sickness. We have another question. Jesus heals a paralytic by forgiving him of his sins. That's curious. Those things we usually tend to think are different, right? Pharisee responds, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So they were okay with him healing someone but not forgiving sins. Jesus' response he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up and take your mat and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man, emphasis on that, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. So Jesus is making a claim here when he's calling himself the Son of Man. Okay, uh, So he's referring to Daniel 7. Um, Jesus is making a claim about himself here that he is the cosmic ruler of all, the rightful heir given dominion over all of the earth and the kingdom of God to come, as revealed in Daniel. And he knew everybody was tracking with that when he called himself son of man. This is why the Pharisees got really angry, okay? Because he's saying that he is the cosmic ruler, okay? What about Jesus' identity, and, and also to back really quick, Son of Man pops up often, often, often throughout Mark. Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, and it gets the spiritual leaders very angry every time. <laughs> um, so Jesus' identity in light of social class divisions. What about that? Um, here's a question. When Jesus calls Levi the tax collector and eats among many sinners in Mark 2.16, the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, and they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Maybe we can glean from this that Jesus' identity, that his kingdom is for everyone, not just elect people, right? Jesus makes a claim later. People start to ask, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding attendants cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. Maybe we could glean from this that Jesus' presence is a cause for celebration, right? Another claim. Here we go. Uh, the Pharisees get mad that Jesus... And his disciples are plucking grain from a field on the Sabbath. In Mark 2.23, the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? How he entered the house of God when Abiathar was high priest and he ate the bread of the presence. Something only the priest can do, right? But David did it in the past, which it's not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind and not for humankind for the Sabbath. So, again, Son of Man, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is making a claim that he is the priest king. He's able to do this. He is dominion over the Sabbath. Um, And also, too, the Daniel reference, Son of Man again. um, Really poking it at the Pharisees, right? Um, So people make a claim about Jesus um, here. He has gone out of his mind, they say. Um, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Okay, So here's an attempt at trying to figure out who is Jesus. They think that he's pretty much evil, right? That's what they're saying. What about Jesus versus the forces of nature? In Mark 4, they're out on a boat. Big storm comes. A lot of Jonah images here, right? They say, Teacher... Do you not care that we are perishing? A quote from Jonah, right? Um, Jesus calms the storm, and then they say, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So maybe we can glean from this that his identity has authority over the forces of nature, right? This sounds like a son of man, right? A cosmic ruler, doesn't it? That's what he's been saying. Um, What about Jesus versus human ignorance, right? Uh, in Mark 6, 2 through 3, and many who heard him were astounded, and they said, where in the world did this man get all this? What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Okay. People make a claim, King Herod and his cronies, they're worried about the power that Jesus is getting, the following, right? They try to figure out, who is Jesus? King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. Remember, uh, Herod had had John the Baptist beheaded earlier. Um, And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, no, it's Elijah. And others said, it's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. So he thinks John's back. Okay. Then we got another claim from people, from Peter. Okay. Maybe someone will get it right. Maybe. Eventually, right? Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And his disciples answered him, John the Baptist. And others, they say, Elijah. Remember, we heard that from the Herod uh, talk, right? And still others, one of the prophets. Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them, not to tell anyone about him. So Peter got it right. He knows that he's the Messiah. Is he going to get it right for the rest of the story? Not so well, right? We know the ending. Um, 
What about happens, okay, now we got the transfiguration, right, on top of the mountain. Really bizarre, incredible story. Mark 9. Then a cloud overshadowed them on top of a mountain, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. Very similar to the first scene of Mark's gospel in Jesus' baptism with John, right? We got people making a claim here in Mark 10. The rich man thinks Jesus is a good teacher. That's nice, right? Um, But he's unwilling to surrender everything and follow him, right? So not good enough of a teacher, I guess, in his mind. Um, Then we got Jesus making a claim. Uh, In Mark 10, for the Son of Man, again, Daniel reference, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. This is an allusion to the upside-down kingdom, right? Um, We're almost there, people. Are you doing good? Okay, we're making it. All right. All right, people making a claim. The crowd and the triumphal entry, right? Mark 11. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Um, They're saying that Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. They want the power back. Right? They want to kick out the Romans and they want to place their king, their king, from David's line in power. People make a claim again in Mark 11. Pharisees question Jesus' authority to do miracles and new teachings. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? They believe that Jesus doesn't have the power to do or say what he's preaching. We got Jesus making a claim. Whoops. Jesus making a claim in Mark 12 that he is greater than King David. He's not the son of David, but he's greater than him, is what he's saying in Mark 12, 35 through 37. Then we have a woman, unnamed, making a claim in Mark 14. The woman with the alabaster jar filled with ointment of nard. I wonder what ointment of nard looks like, right? Um, That Jesus is worth anointing that there are many sacrificial lamb analogies going on here. And Jesus actually explicitly states that she is preparing him for his forthcoming death. Jesus makes a claim in Mark 14 at the Last Supper that he is the one through which a new covenant will be made. He also makes a claim, um, the author lets us in on him when he's in the garden, talking with his father, and he said, Abba, Father, For you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. So we can see in his identity that Jesus is surrendered to his Father's will. Here comes a question in Mark 14. The high priest asks who Jesus is. Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One, during the trial? Jesus said, I am. And he one-upped it. And he said, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Again, Daniel, driving it home, right? Then we have Peter making a claim. He just earlier got it. He doesn't get it anymore. Makes a claim that he doesn't even know who Jesus is. We have a question in Mark 15. Pilate asked Jesus who he is. Pilate asked him, he says, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. 
Then the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. The people make a claim. The crowd, Jesus or Jesus Barabbas. The crowd wants Jesus Barabbas over Jesus King of the Jews. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd, uh, and the chief, the chief priests stirred up the crowd to release Barabbas for them instead. Um, Pilate spoke to them again. Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. Pilate asked them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. So the people think his identity is worth death, right? The Romans... The Gentiles and Hebrew crowd made a claim in Mark 15. The Roman soldiers mockingly dressed Jesus as king, and they beat him. The crowd also mocks Jesus. He saved others, they say. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the king of Israel, come down from that cross now so that we may see and believe. They believe that Jesus is a joke. The final claim in the Gospel of Mark from a Roman soldier in Mark 15. Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was God's son. So I know you may feel like I just sent you through a roller coaster ride of gospel overview, um, but I think there's some big picture questions to ponder that Mark is wanting us to ask. The kinds of people that ask the questions of Jesus' identity the miraculous acts that Jesus does that compels characters in the story to ask the question, and who knows who Jesus is, and is there relevance to it? What do people do with this question of who is Jesus? How do they respond, if at all? Many who are healed of disease, of unclean spirits, defy his command to not tell others. Um, So why might this gospel be laser-focused on the question of the identity of Jesus of Nazareth? What can we take from reading Mark in this kind of a way? Perhaps not clean-cut, simple answers. Um, We can obviously take away that it is important for us to ask the question of who Jesus is really, right? Is Jesus a good man who was a good teacher? Was he a blasphemous devil trying to deceive God's people? Or was he truly the Son of God? Or better, in both Jesus' words and the prophet Daniel's, Is he the son of man, the God and the rightful cosmic ruler? C.S. Lewis thinks you cannot believe Jesus was simply just a good man and a teacher. Um, So he says this called the Lewis's trilemma. Um, He says it kind of bluntly in a C.S. Lewis kind of way. Lewis says, um, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell. 
you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. So maybe Mark's gospel wants us to meditate, perhaps spend the rest of our lives really chewing on the question, what is the identity of Jesus of Nazareth? Maybe that question can transform our hearts and minds into the life of Jesus. Maybe Mark's gospel can be transformative to us in this way. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? What do I do with this wisdom? How can I seek more of Jesus' identity? And how do I respond to him? How does this change my relationship with all of creation around me? Let's pray. Lord, may the question of the identity of your Son be a guiding thought in our hearts and minds. May we continually seek to know Jesus more, and may we be ever mindful of the life, teachings, miracles, death, and resurrection of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. Amen.